To do anything well, including the raising of kids, we need instruction. We need to know what to do and how to do it. This message is the ninth in the series, From Me to We. The message is entitled, Help, I'm a Parent, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we uh, dive into this ongoing series of messages entitled, From Me to We. And I'm talking in this particular part of the series about parenting, Help, I'm a Parent. There's no greater privilege or responsibility given to us than the responsibility of raising kids, and raising kids does require wisdom. And let me say this, if you're not a parent here today, you say, you know what, does this message apply to me? The answer is absolutely it does, because it applies to all of us. As adults, we have a responsibility to the next generation. And of course, to invest in the next generation, it requires wisdom. You know, when you have that little baby and you bring them home and you hold them in your arms, there's this moment of obviously many moments of great joy and thrill, but also a moment of a sort of uh, what do I do with this baby? What do I do with this child? And every child comes into the family without something, without an instruction manual. There's no manual given to you at the hospital that says this is exactly how you raise them. And, and even once you have your first child, begin to raise them and learn a little bit about parenting. If you have a second one, they're completely different than the first one. Now you've got to figure out how you relate to them. And if you have multiple kids, they're all different. And so we come to this thing called parenting without a lot of knowledge. Without a lot of information, but the good news is that God is not silent when it comes to guiding us regarding parenting. God's Word speaks about everything, including parenting. As we begin to dive into the pages of Scripture, we begin to discover that God is very practical in what He asks us to do and how He asks us to live, and He gives us guidance when it comes to this particular realm of life. I started last weekend with a passage that I want to start with again this weekend. It's in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6. I'm going to invite you to read it together with me aloud and loudly. I'm going to read first and foremost from the New Living Translation. We'll supplement it with the Passion Translation in a moment. But notice what it says. Let's read together. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Notice the statement. What are, you, what are we to do? Direct your children onto the right path. When they're older, they will not leave it. There's a promise given to us in this, a promise that we lay claim to, that if we will do our part as parents by directing our children onto that right path, obviously that's God's path for life, then when they get older, there will be something in them that will carry them through their life journey. This is not guaranteed that every child is going to become and do everything we want them to do. Even God has problems with his kids. And we're going to have problems with our kids as well along the way. But there's a promise that we hold on to. Notice this from the Passion Translation. Let's read this together again. And let's read aloud and loudly across our campuses. Here we go. Dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go. And the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. Don't you like that? Let me read it to you again. Just listen as I read. Dedicate your children to to God. I want to stop there just for a moment. See, when you have children, they really don't belong to you anyway. They actually belong to God. They're God's kids. And so we're given them, we're, we have responsibility to steward them, to care for them, but they actually belong to God. And so we're to dedicate them back to God and then point them or direct them in the way that they should go. And the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. Many of the values that I have in my life today, I can point back to my parents and the things that they taught me, the truths that they taught me from Scripture, the way to go about living life, and they stay with you for life when you impart them properly to your kids. 
In this series, this portion of the series, what we're doing is we're talking about how do you do this? How do you dedicate your children to God? How do you point them? How do you direct them in the way that they should go? What what do you do as a parent? And last weekend, we talked about knowing the goal of parenting. You can't parent very well unless you know what you're supposed to be doing. What's the bullseye? What are you shooting for? We talked about that very clearly. And then we talked about your parenting styles, the importance of improving the style that you have of parenting and to be aware of what that, that style is. Today, I'm going to share with you three more things. We are a total of nine in this part of the series together. We'll look at three more today, and then the next two weeks, we'll look at the remaining of these nine. But today, there are two, three things I want to share with you that will help you to dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go. And the first thing I'd like to talk about today is you have to develop a relationship with your children. You have to develop a relationship with your children. The key word here is the word relationship, relationship. You'll never direct your children well and effectively without a relationship with them. Josh McDowell, who is a well-known apologist, a uh, well-known point of advice for raising kids, written many books on the topic, made this statement. He said, rules without relationship breeds rebellion. Let me say that again. Rules without relationship breeds rebellion. That if you have a whole bunch of rules in your family and do's and don'ts in the family, but there's very little relationship with your children, what you're going to get ultimately is you might get some compliance, but at the end of the day, you're going to oftentimes get rebellion because what your children are looking for and what you have the primary responsibility for as a parent is to build a relationship with them. Now, this relationship is different from any other relationship in your life. It's not a friendship. You're not a friend with your child. Hopefully, you'll be friendly with your children. It's not a partnership, although hopefully you will cooperate with your children and they with you. But this relationship is a unique, God-designed relationship. It is the parent-child relationship. Say that together with me. The parent-child relationship. There's no relationship like it other than our relationship with God. A parent-child relationship, and with this comes authority. With this comes a sense of, of, of order and structure and responsibility that's been assigned to us, actually a task or job given to us as a parent. And so we're, we're developing a, a relationship with our child, but it's a parent-child relationship. And at the core of any good relationship is this one word, and that word is trust. That what you're after with your children is you want them to trust you. Think about your relationship with God. What God wants more than anything in your life is that God wants you to trust Him. Even before He asks you to obey Him, God asks you to trust Him. Because in the wisdom of God, we understand that real trust always results in obedience. You obey because you trust. You obey because you believe that God is wiser, that God knows what needs to happen in your life. And so out of this trusting relationship with God, there is obedience. And the same is true when it comes to your your parenting, that you want your children to obey you, but you want them to obey you because they trust you. They trust your wisdom. They trust your maturity. You've demonstrated that through your life. And so this parent-child relationship is us with our children, and it also connects us with God. Notice Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and what will he do? He will make your paths straight. Here's what I want you to see. Lots of things we could talk about in these two verses, but I want you to see that trust comes before submission. Trust precedes submission. 
We're not first said submit to the Lord with all your heart. We're told to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And then out of that trusting comes submitting our ways to him. And so what you want to do in your family is create an atmosphere of trust that builds a relationship. Now, how do you do this? How do you build a trusting atmosphere in your family? I'm going to give you eight words. We'll work through them fairly quickly, and there could be actually probably hundreds of words that I could use here in describing this. Let me give you eight. The first thing that creates trust in an environment, in an atmosphere, is a sense that somebody cares about you. You're not going to trust in an environment where someone doesn't care. And so when you know that I'm cared for, then you're able to become more vulnerable. You're able to open up your heart to that person that you know cares about you. And so as we talk about creating an atmosphere of trust, we create an environment at our homes that says we really do care about you. The next word that is vital in creating trust is an atmosphere of acceptance, that we accept you. We accept you. You don't have to change for us to accept you. See, so often our focus is on the change because, as I'll talk about in a moment, we see things in our children that may need to change, and in our wisdom and our maturity, we see these elements, and so we tend to focus on the change, and we, we, we run short on the acceptance, but in God's perspective of things, He always accepts you before He asks you to change. Aren't you glad that when you came to Jesus, he didn't say, you know what, change first, then I'll accept you. No, he said, I accept you, and I want to welcome you into my family, and then once you're a part of my family, I start working on you to mold you into my image, but the acceptance precedes the change. And so an atmosphere of trust is an atmosphere of acceptance. You don't have to earn this. We accept you. The third word that I'll give you here is affection. A good trusting environment has appropriate affection, that there's a sense in which mom and dad can place their arms around those kids and hold them tight and hug them and bless them and lay their hands on them and and, and, and give them a sense of, of value and worth by the physical touch, the appropriate physical touch that comes into good, healthy relationships. And so affection allows us to feel that we can trust the people around us. The next word that I will give you is the word security, that a good atmosphere of trust has a secure sense about it. Not just secure physically, but secure emotionally, secure spiritually. That in that family, that child feels like, you know what, I can express things, I can work through things, I can process my emotions in this environment. I don't have to be perfect all the time. Sometimes I'm going to have some ups and sometimes I'm going to have some downs, but I'm secure in this environment where I can process my feelings, I can process life events that happen to me. It creates trust. The next one is attention, that we give attention to our children. I'm going to come back to that one in a moment, so just hold that one in your mind. We'll talk about it more in just a few moments. And then predictability. A good trusting environment is predictable. I think most of us would say that if you go into an environment that is filled with this, you don't trust it very much, do you? If you go into an environment, you're not sure what's going to happen or what's going on. You've got a lot of confusion and drama happening. You don't have a lot of trust for an environment like that. Well, the same is true when it comes to a home environment. If you have a chaotic environment that nobody knows what's going to happen when and nobody knows whose emotions are going to fly off the handle at what moment, what happens? You can't trust an environment like that, and so you shut off the spirit of your child. You shut them off in their soul because there's a lack of predictability in the environment. So your children 
children need to be raised in a home, in a family environment where they know when they're going to get up in the morning and when the meals are going to be held and when they're going to go to bed at night and what the rules are. Everybody understands this and everybody lives with a sense of predictability. Yes, there can be spontaneity at times, but the primary sense of the family is stability or predictability. This provides tremendous, tremendous trust development. And then example. Part of what helps a child to feel trusting is to look at their parents and say, you know what, I want to be like them. I see who they are. I see their integrity. I see the way that they work, the way that they serve, the way they serve God, the way they live their lives. And you know what, they may not be perfect, but they're my hero. I want to be like that person. There's something about the parent that lives with an example that is exemplary in a positive way that inspires trust by the way that they live. And then the last one that I will mention here, and this is so vital you create trust by the ability to give an apology. Let's talk about this one just for a moment. The truth of the matter is today, every one of us that are parents, how many of your parents, they raise your hand, raise your hand, okay, your parents, okay. Now put your hands down. How many of you as a parent, you've made a mistake somewhere along the line, raise your hand, okay. Your hand's not up as a parent, you're lying right now, okay, everybody's alive. No perfect, but we all made mistakes, okay. Everybody makes mistakes as a parent. I've made a lot of mistakes. Two beautiful daughters that I just, I would, there are things I would go back and change. There are always things you wish you did better. You wish you did it differently. So we all make mistakes. Here's the thing. When you make a mistake and you realize that one of the most powerful things in creating trust is in the moment you make the mistake and you become aware of it, that when you go to that child and you apologize to them, it's one of the most powerfully empowering, trust-building things you'll ever do. It doesn't seem, it seems uh, counterintuitive because you would think that if I apologize to my child, they're going to disrespect me, but actually that what really happens is they respect you more. When you say, honey, I just want you to know that a few moments ago when I spoke to you the way that I did, that was kind of harsh and I wasn't being sensitive to your feelings and dad's really sorry for the way I, I said that to you. I'm just asking you to forgive me. Would you forgive me? And I found out that my kids are very forgiving, Okay. And in that moment, there's something unique. There's a bond that happens in the relationship that can happen no other way. I think many times through our pride and our arrogance and our insensitivities that we just are, and our, our fears of what was going to happen if we give an apology, it holds us back. One of the most powerful things you can do as a parent is to apologize when you need to apologize. I don't mean that you walk around every day apologizing for everything. I'm sorry for my existence. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about when you specifically know something that you haven't done well. And by the way, this is something you can do. I've done this with my adult kids. I've gone back to my, my daughters at times and said, you know, I was thinking about something that happened back in our, you know, when you were a kid. And I just thought about it. I just want you to know that that wasn't the best way for me to handle that. And so I'm not saying that you should live in a guilt trip. We don't need to live in a guilt trip. You don't need to live under condemnation of this kind of stuff. Everybody makes mistakes. But when you can, when you utilize the apology in a positive way, it builds trust in that relationship. So vital and so extremely important. So the first thing that is important in building uh, parenting skills is to build an atmosphere of, what's the word again? Trust. Let me ask you this question. Whose responsibility is it to build trust in your family? It's the parent's responsibility. 
Just like God takes on the responsibility to build an atmosphere that we can trust because of his faithfulness of who he is. He creates an environment that we can trust him. It's the parent's job to create an atmosphere of trust in the home. We don't always do it perfectly or do it well, but it's our job assignment given to us by God. So the first thing is to build a relationship with your children because relationship that's based in trust is what builds the possibility and the potential for obedience in that interaction and the acceptance of your wisdom and your maturity. The second thing I want to talk to you about is you've got to learn to affirm. Second thing today, learn to affirm. By human nature, we're all very sinful, we're all self-centered, and we all are prone to the negative. We have this tendency of seeing what's wrong with people more than seeing what's right with them. We have this mindset of, well, I can tell you everything that's wrong with this individual because I'm aware of them and, and aware of the things that need to be changed in their life. And so we focus, we have this tendency to focus on the negative and discard the positive. And in parenting, this is so, so, so true because in parenting, we have a tendency, although we love our children, we want to help them. And so because of that, we see the things that are frustrating to us about them or things that might need to change, legitimately need to change. And so we, we tend to focus on those things that need to be improved or changed. And it's, it is important that we address these things. I'm going to talk about this as a part of the series and how do you address the, the negative things in your child? How do you discipline? How do you approach this whole process? And through the next couple of weeks, we'll be, we'll be talking about that. But, but, but this, I want to talk about this affirmation thing for a moment. Because the affirmation is about moving from the negative to the positive. Actually, the word to affirm means to state or assert the positive. When I was doing some research on this word, I found that the etymology of the English word that we use for affirm goes all the way back to the early 14th century. It was a word that was used to describe making steady or making strong or to make firm or to make uh, more stable on the inside. That's where we get affirm. That is that when you speak words that bring firmness to, the, to another person, strength to another person. And I think all of us as parents would agree today that we want our children to be firm on the inside. We want them to be strong on the inside. We want them to have something that will not shake on the inside, a good, solid foundation. And so to be firm, there has to be affirmation. You have to affirm. You have to say, see things in their lives that you need to see that are positive and say things that you need to say and then repeat those things over and over again until they get down into that child's spirit. The way I will say it, it's like making a deposit in the emotional account of your child's life. And when you make that deposit in their life in a positive way, it sets you up in those moments when you have to have those negative interactions, those disciplinary moments. You have something to draw from because you've made the deposit in their soul. You put something there. You have affirmed them. They know that they are affirmed by their father. They're affirmed by their mother. In fact, one of the problems we have in our culture today and some, some, some of the areas of our, of our nation and around the world, literally, we have, we have kids running to gangs. You know why they oftentimes will run to a gang? They're getting more affirmation from the gang than they get from the family. And so they're looking for somebody to tell them they're okay. And so their, their peers do that. And, and the father, the mother, they're, they're not engaged in the process. And so we need affirmation. All of us need it. And as parents, we need to give it. So how do we go about giving affirmation? Let me quickly share with you five things that you can do to affirm your children. Number one, if you're going to affirm them, you've got to notice the positive qualities, attitudes, and actions in them. If you don't notice it, you're not going to talk about it. You've got to pay attention to it. 
What I would suggest you do that will help you in this journey is to get a blank sheet of paper, and if you have multiple children, and write their name at the top of that blank sheet of paper, individual pages for each child, and write their names at the top of each of those pages. Just write everything positive you can think about that child. Nothing negative on that piece of paper. Everything positive that you can think about them. Write it down. Identify those things. Notice them because, again, our tendency is to notice the negative and to overlook the positive. So you have to notice those positive qualities, attitudes, and actions. The second thing is communicate pleasure in the positive qualities, attitudes, and actions in someone. It's not just enough to notice it. You've got to then communicate it because, listen, affirmation is not affirmation unless there's communication. Me thinking, affirming, affirming thoughts about you doesn't help you. It's only when I communicate my affirming thoughts to you that you're helped by those affirming thoughts. And so uh, affirmation is not affirmation without communication. And so I'm affirming you by now beginning to tell you the pleasure that I find in the positive qualities. Son, I just want you to know that you're such an amazing, generous person. When I notice this as your dad, it makes me so happy on the inside. I'm so thrilled with the person that you are and the person you're becoming. And I just want you to know how proud I am of you. When you say things like that, what you're doing is you're, you're investing in the account and the soul of that child, and you're speaking something, you're speaking life to them. Amen? The third thing that's necessary here is you've got to communicate this pleasure. How? What's the word there? It's not, I love you, but. I'm so glad that God, when I come to him in the morning, he says, yeah, I love you, but. No, God never includes a but in his love, Okay? God's love is unconditional. It never changes. God loves you on your worst day of the week. God loves you at your worst moment in your life. And God doesn't love you any more in your best moment than he loves you in your worst moment. His love for you is stable. His love for you is consistent. His love for you is unconditional. His love for you never, ever changes. And that's the same kind of love that we need to have for our children that we love them in such a way that they know that no matter what happens, don't worry, they're okay. It's a part of parenting, okay? Okay, we're just, okay, don't worry about it. They're gonna be fine, okay? So it's just, it's just we just designed that for an in-house demonstration for you. That's all we want you to have that, okay? So here we go, okay? okay. So just, that's what good things happen when you teach about these kind of lessons. Just happen right here. Good example of it. So what you want to do is demonstrate this unconditional atmosphere of love, affirming not on the basis of performance, and this goes to the next one I want to talk about here, but affirming your child on the basis of being rather than doing. What your child is is more important than what they do because who they are will determine what they do. And so when you notice something about your child, don't talk so much about what they do in terms of their skill set. So that's wonderful. You can mention it from time to time, but, but talk about who they're becoming. This is the character issue in their life. I'm just so happy, son, when I see you, you're just, you're just so generous, and your generosity is an amazing quality of your character. I just want to let you know how proud I am of you, of that character quality in your life. Or you just seem to be such an honest person. I'm so grateful every time you just seem to be so honest. I, I just value that characteristic about you. And so we focus on the being instead of the doing. See, the world focuses on the doing. People are defined by what they do, but in relationship with God, we're defined by who we are in Christ. Amen. Who we are in relationship with Him. Let's go to the next one together. Affirmation imparts what? Blessing. 
steadiness, strength, and firmness into the soul of the person affirmed. Think about this for a moment. Have you ever been the object of someone's affirmation when they just started speaking affirming words to you and, and they were genuine about it and you could feel air coming into your system. You could feel inspiration happening in your soul. You could feel blessing being imparted to you. And God designed you as a parent to impart blessing to your children, to speak blessing into their lives. One of my favorite times each week of our service time together and I hope that you'll value this as much as I value it. It's at the end of the service, before you go home, before you head out. I ask all of you to take a position of receiving. And I'll speak words something like this. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. And I send you out into your week blessed by God to go forth and do what God has asked you to do that week. It's affirmation. Your children need to hear words like that where there's, there's air, there's inspiration put in their soul that, that comes from mom, that comes from dad, speaking life into their lives. Jesus himself, the very son of God, Jesus himself experienced the beauty of the affirmation of his father. Take a look with me, if you will, at Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is about to begin his earthly ministry. He's about 30 years of age. He's just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. After his baptism, as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven said, read it with me, this is my Beloved Son, and I am what? Wonderfully pleased with Him. Think about that. Here's the Son of God, Jesus Himself, the, the part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Father is speaking down from heaven to His Son, who's about to begin His earthly ministry. He's saying, this is my Son, my beloved Son. I am wonderfully pleased with Him. A tremendous example. And when it comes to affirmation, you've got to see it. You've got to say it. And you've got to repeat it. Say those three phrases with me. You've got to see it. You've got to say it. And you've got to repeat it. See the good things. Speak those good things. And then repeat it over and over again. This brings us to our final thing that I want to talk about today. The third thing is you've got to stay engaged with your children. The key word here is the word engaged. Stay engaged with your children. I'll give you a moment to write that down. And I want you then to turn your attention toward me very, very purposefully for the next few moments. Today's world is a very dangerous place. Today's world is a very dangerous place. I'm talking to you as your pastor right now. The dangers that we face in our world today are not only outside the walls of our homes. They're inside the walls of our home. There's danger in your house right now. If you, have, if you have access to cable television or some form of television that's piped into your house, if you have an internet connection, evil is already in your house. It's not a matter of whether it's going to be in your house, evil is in your house. You may not have tuned to the evil, but it's already in your house right now. All, that, all, all, all that's required is for you to hit a button, a channel button on your television, or to click a certain click on your website, and you're to evil immediately. It's in your house. It's not outside the walls of your house. Evil has already penetrated the walls of your house by these forms, media technology. It's there. We have to understand the reality of this. 
And because evil has now made its way into our homes, today's eight-year-olds, think about this, today's eight-year-old kids, little kids, eight years of age, they're getting exposed to things that just a few years ago, 18-year-old kids have not even been exposed to yet. And many times inadvertently, they're not even aware of what's happening. They'll just, they'll just click a link on a website somewhere and suddenly something pops up that robs them of their innocence, that robs them of, of, of something they should have been held back for years and it's all around them. And so these eight-year-olds are getting exposed to this kind of stuff on an ongoing basis. And so what, what this means is it means that we as parents need to be far more vigilant than we've ever been in all of history. We've got to be more vigilant. And I feel very, I'm on a soapbox right now, and I don't apologize for it, okay? Because I feel very passionate about this. I think it's so vital that we don't lose our kids to this, this wave of evil that is all around us. And what it requires is it requires engagement on the part of parents. We have to be engaged. I want to remind you this morning, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who's in the family of, of God, God is highly engaged with you. As a parent, he's highly engaged with you. I'm going to show you how highly engaged God is with you. Take a look with me, if you will, at Psalm 139, beginning in verse, verse number one. I'm going to read a bunch of verses, but that's good for us. We're in church. You need the Bible. Amen? All right? Here we go. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and notice this. You know what? Everything about me. That's pretty engaged, is it not? Okay. You know when I sit or stand. Pretty good engagement, right? When far away, you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment, you know where I am. Pretty good parent. Would you agree? All right? You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You both proceed and follow me and place your hand of blessing on my head. This is too glorious, too wonderful to believe. I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the morning winds to the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. If I try to hide in the darkness, the night becomes light around me. Notice this from the Passion Translation. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul, and you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You're so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book, and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey. goes on to say, you've gone into my, my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're, th you're there too. If I fly with wings, into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me, for your presence is everywhere bringing light into my night. Anybody glad for a God like that, okay? This is our God, okay? Man, I'm about to shout right now. I'm telling you, this is our God, okay? This is a God who takes care of you. This is the kind of parent you have. It's the kind of heavenly father you have. That's who he is. And the psalmist David got overwhelmed one day and wrote all these things about how, how God took care of him, how amazing it was, how wonderful it was to think about a God like this. And we look at God as the example of, of how we are to parent. And of course, we could never be like God. We can't be 
perfect as he is perfect, but he becomes the example that we're to have. And so as God is engaged with us, we need to be engaged with our kids. Amen? So how do we do this? I'm going to give you six things. And we're going to go a little bit over today. I promise you we're going to be out by, I don't know, 3 o'clock or so. I promise you. Okay? <laughs> now, you know we have to be out by 1 because it's another service. So just relax, okay? Just chill out. It's going to be all right. But you need this information, okay? What I'm doing is I'm cramming about six months of teaching into four weeks. So uh, it's, good. it's really, really, hopefully we've got to dig into this. I'm going to give you, quickly give you six things that will help you be more engaged with your children. Number one, you've got to have meaningful personal conversations with them that include listening to them, developing heart-to-heart moments. Here's the key, heart-to-heart moments. You want heart-to-heart moments with your kids. I told you I was going to come back to the attention thing earlier in the service. Here's where I'm coming back to it. Here's what I want you to see. You cannot have heart-to-heart moments with your kids without time with your kids. It's only with the time that the heart-to-heart moments happen. Everybody knows when you have, try to have a conversation with your child and they don't want to talk, how was school today? Fine. What'd you learn today? Nothing. <laughs> right? Those are the conversations, right? Okay? They don't go anywhere. However, you get them in the car and you're driving around for two or three hours going different places, and before long, you're talking and stuff starts coming out, okay? Why? Because you're spending time, okay? And so you got to have time with your children because it's only that time that the heart-to-heart can really happen. You can't force heart-to-heart. Heart-to-heart happens in an environment of trust that's established, and just you just have to have some time. And so you engage with your children by, by focusing on the time that leads to the heart-to-heart. And then you pay attention and, and take advantage of the teachable moments because in those heart-to-heart conversations, there will be teachable moments, and a teachable, listen closely, a teachable moment is not when you preach your child a sermon. Okay. Oh, they're open right now. I'm going to really let them have it. No, no. You know when your child's heart's open? You can tell when their heart's open. They're ready to receive. They're ready to listen to you. Okay, this, this is a heart-to-heart moment. It's, led to, it's a teachable moment. And in that moment, you have, to, you have to use that. You have to steward that moment very carefully. And it's not time to preach them a message. It's time to share with them from your life. Honey, you know, as we're talking... You know, it just reminds me of something I went through in my life, and I had to learn this lesson, too. Maybe what I'm going to share with you will help you. Do you see the different tone? I'm sharing with them as a conversation. I'm not sharing with them as a sermon, okay? Your children will turn off to a sermon, but they'll open up to a conversation, okay? And when their hearts are open, they're ready to receive wisdom from, from mom or dad that connects with them where they are in their teachable moments. And by the way, let me say something else about teachable moments. You're not going to have a whole bunch of them throughout your, throughout your child's life. They're, they're, they're few and far between. That's why you want to make sure that you capture them when they happen as much as possible. And by the way, ask God to give you these moments. And if you, if you will, he will provide them for you. And then you need to know and filter your child's what? Can I get an amen right there? Okay. okay. Somebody over here is really excited about that. That's good. So. No and what else? Know and filter your child's friends. Remember the relationship? What kind of relationship is it? It's a parent-child relationship, right? So as a parent, you need to be wiser and more mature. And so with your children, you need to know who their friends are. You need to have some say in who their friends are. And I understand this changes as your children get older. And there are certain times you have to give them the opportunity to start making friends on their own. And, and you can't be involved in their child's life all throughout their, their upbringing in every realm. But as much as possible, you need to know who their friends are and filter them. As Okay, you got some new friends. Bring them in. I'm going to interview them. I want to see their resume, okay? 
want to know something about them. And I will tell you, honestly, it just really happened to me. There were times in my, as my growing up years that when, I, when my dad would see some of the friends I was starting to hang around with, he would bring me in and say, son, you can't hang around with that person anymore. Why not? They're really nice. No, you can't. I'm just telling you, you can't. You've got to stop your friendship with them. And I'm glad I had a dad like this because he kept me out of a lot of trouble because he understood something intuitively that as a principle, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Whoever your friends are are going to determine what your future is going to be. And so that's why a parent, if you want your, parent, your children to have a destiny, you better be concerned about their friends because show me your friends, you're going to see their future. And so if you're interested in their future, you better be interested in their friends. And so you not only need to know them, but you need to filter them. You need to say, these are the ones that are going to work. These are the ones that aren't. And then be very clear in terms of what your expectations are regarding friendships. Why? Because you're protecting your children. The next one here is know and Knowing and approving and confirming your child's what? God knows where you are all the time. I think that's a pretty good example for parents. You need to know where your children are all the time, right? I told you I have two, obviously, adult uh, daughters now, families of their own, seven grandchildren. When they, were, when they were growing up and starting to go out on their own, before they would go somewhere, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? How long are you going to be there? What's the address in case I want to show up? <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Okay. What's the address in case I want to show up? Because I wanted to just linger. Oh, I want the fear of God <laughs> hanging over them. That right? They didn't know. In that case, like that. At some point in time, they might look around the corner. Here comes Dad. <laughs> Because kids get into trouble. Kids do things. They need a sense of that kind of accountability. And you say, is this, this, are you going overboard? No, this is parenting. This is how God treats us, right? He's our role model. This is, see, our minds have to be renewed, church, okay? We have to think in a godly way. We can't think the way the world thinks around us, all right? Next one here, all right? Monitoring and man managing your child's what? Screen time. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I'm already getting claps on that one, all right, okay? Let me give you some information here. I did some research on this, and so it's interesting. One recent study says that between eight, the ages of 5 and 16, the average amount of screen time that kids are spending today, now there are different studies that have been done just to let you be aware of this, but uh, one of the major studies that was done said the bet kids between the ages of 5, 5, 5, 5, everybody say 5. That's a, is that like a kindergartner, right? Okay. Five years and 16 years of age, the average amount of time that kids are spending in front of a screen now, you ready for this? 6.5 hours a day. Six and a half hours a day, kids between the ages of five and 16 are spending in front of a screen. Desktop, laptop, phone, tablet, whatever it might be. They're in front of that screen six and a half hours a day. So for six and a half hours a day, your screen, your, the screens are parenting your children. Are you hearing this? Okay. Now, I, I did a little more research to find out the implication of this. Now, again, there are other studies. Some will say as low as four. Some will say higher than this. But they're somewhere in that range. But this is one of the more popular studies that have been done. But here's something else to understand, that young people who spend... 
seven or more hours a week, or a day, I should say, on, in screen, with screen time, listen to this, they're twice as likely to struggle with anxiety and depression. So let's bump this up just half an hour, okay? So they're already on the precipice, aren't they? They're right here on the edge, and you bump it up just half an hour, and, and data proves the fact that kids that spend seven hours a day seven hours, are twice as likely, two times as likely as kids who don't spend that amount of time a day to suffer with anxiety and depression. That alone should cause you to walk in sometimes and say, hand me your phone. That alone should cause you sometimes to say, this is, this is time out when it comes to your screen, okay? Now, I, I think we, let me say something else. If you're spending seven hours a day on a phone, on a tablet somewhere, you're setting the wrong example for your child, okay? And so it's not good for you. In fact, there are problems that exist in adults today. They're suffering, adults are suffering from anxiety and depression because of this kind of stuff. I mean, we've got Facebook depression. You're reading Facebook and everybody's got great lives and you don't have such a great life and you're looking at their life, you're thinking, man, this is, this is, my life is horrible. Look at all the places they go and all the food they eat, all the things they do. I, I, my life is a pits, man. That's horrible, okay? Okay. I've told you before, most of them are lying on Facebook anyway. They haven't been to any of those places, okay? And even if they have, listen, remember this. Social media is always the highlight reel of somebody's life. They never post a bad day. Never post the downside. Oh, I lost my job today. I'm so happy. No. no. And so we've got this culture, and I'm not against any of this stuff. I believe in technology. I'm preaching from it right now, okay, right? I'm not against it, but I'm saying just like anything else, you've got to understand that there's a monitoring element that needs to go along with it, and so you've got to monitor your child's screen time. Be aware of how much time they are spending, and then monitoring your child's music, media, and web content, including the social media activity, that kind of goes in with the last one as well, and let's see this last one here that I want to give you. First Peter, don't look at this one yet. Let me talk to you about this one just for a moment. I'm going to conclude with the last verse because we're talking about staying engaged with your kids. The verse I'm going to give you here is a verse that you've probably heard lots of times before, but I want you, as I'm going to read it to you in just a moment, I want you to think of it as a parent just for a moment, just maybe for one time. Think of that only as a parent, okay? And your job as a parent. And Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I want you to read them together with me. Let's read them aloud. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's what I noticed in this verse. What are the first two words? That would have been sufficient, but it wasn't enough for Peter. Peter said, stay alert, and then what did he add to it? Watch out. So he back-to-back -back twins tandems up two phrases. Stay alert and watch out. Pretty serious, would you agree? Stay alert, watch out. Why? Because you got a great enemy, and his name is the devil, and he is prowling around. Where is he prowling? He's prowling lots of places, but he's certainly prowling where? At your house. 
Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. What is he looking for? Someone to devour. The verse goes on. The next verse in verse number 9 says that we're to be strong and resist him in the faith. Strong and resist in the faith. Here's what I want you to see that what we need to do as parents is we need to be alert and watchful. That's called engagement. And to stand firm in the faith because here's the victory. The victory is this. The enemy doesn't have to get your kids, okay? But it requires a parent that stands in the gap and stays engaged and says, you know what, this is my job. I've been assigned this by God. And I'm going to trust him with my capacity to do the best that I can, to be as engaged as I can be, and leave the rest with God. Let me conclude with one last thing today. As I mentioned a moment ago, there's not a single parent in this place that if you look through, if we go through this, this message again today, that we haven't all failed in one of these areas. And here is the good news. The good news is this. When you fail, God's grace can make up for your mistakes, okay? Are you hearing me, okay? Don't walk out of here and say, I really blew it. I really messed up. My goodness, what's going to happen to my kids? The beautiful thing to remember is that even when you've messed up, God's grace is still sufficient and strong. Even when you're not faithful, God is faithful. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad to know that? Even when you're not faithful. And there are times in all of our lives where we're not faithful, we can still trust the faithfulness of God. And as we gain information, begin to apply it to live the way God has asked us to live. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray today? Father, thank you for your word. We're so grateful today for the opportunity we've had to study. Thank you for the practical principles in Scripture that guide us in the way that we're to live. We pray that we'll take these and embrace them in our lives. Let us live them, we pray, through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God. And I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. 
And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.